0: Standard of Paranormal Radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. Predictably, the reaction to the appearance of Travis Walton on the Paracast was extensive, wide-ranging. Some people felt we didn't ask hard enough questions. One of our listeners even suggested that maybe we colluded with Travis Walton to be nice to him. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I saw the letters you sent me where you communicated with Travis. and It was all about, do you want to come on the show? No promises or representations were made. No.
2: And I think one of the reasons that he agreed to do the show is because uh, he's real excited about this new conference that he's he's putting together, uh, which he's, he's hoping will be an annual event in Heber, Arizona, where he was allegedly rediscovered after being dropped back by the craft that allegedly took him away for five days and uh i think it's going to be a, a really good conference uh there's some very good speakers there and i think that that was enough to uh get him to come on the show but travis does not do many radio shows and i'm sure he's tired of answering the same old questions and telling the same old story over and over again but uh, to suggest that we struck some sort of softball deal I think is is rather disconcerting uh the Paracast is the Paracast we uh we don't coddle anybody we don't softball people like uh has been suggested I think all our guests are given enough leeway to state their opinions uh state their experiences and then we follow up with what we would like to think are probing hard-hitting questions so That's how we do it
1: around here, Gene, and that's not going to change. I think sometimes people just want to start discussions in forums so they will look for various reasons. Like, for example, I got an email from somebody, you probably saw the copy, where the person suggested that we deliberately would change the subject rather than let Travis Walton go into detail about something. Now, understand there's a finite amount of time on a radio show, to cover the issues. And when you have a lot to talk about, as you do with Travis Walton, we're going to move from subject to subject. I assume that since he seemed to enjoy the appearance on the show, he'll come back again. And whatever we didn't cover this time, we'll cover the next time. Let's leave it at that. The other thing, of course, is there are legitimate discussions in areas where maybe he didn't answer the questions as thoroughly as we'd like. So, for example, there's that TV show he went on back in, what, the 80s or 90s, where they took a lie detector test, and they disclosed the results on the TV. It's like a quiz show.
2: Yeah, and- moment of truth. Well, I would think that they'd look for any excuse not to give somebody $100,000.
1: <laughs> the question was very specific and leading about whether you were abducted by aliens or something. And supposedly he gave his answer being yes, and they said no. It's not true. Well, maybe in his heart, he felt that he wasn't sure what what, actually happened to him and who abducted him. So therefore, it would sound like a lie. But normally, a lie detector test, you don't do that. You don't ask a leading question like that. You do a baseline to get a sense of what information and what his reactions are to answers that are obviously true or false. Then you ask questions over and over again to elicit a cross-section of answers. It's not a quiz show. And I'm not an expert on lie detector tests. I know it's not 100% reliable. I know that if somebody believes the lie, they'll pass the test. So what good is it?
2: Yeah, I lost a job because I failed a lie detector test. And I was telling the truth, although the test results said I wasn't. Later, they called me back and tried to reinstate me, and by then I'd gotten another job. But that just to goes to show you, th- these things are not infallible. You know, he's passed so many of them over the years that um, I, I think it's it's almost a moot point. It, it's, it really doesn't, you know, at this point in time, I, I'm not really sure, you know, what, what good is constantly trying to ascertain a person's, uh, you know, truthfulness when they've been saying the same thing for almost 40 years. His story has never wavered. The stories of the others have never wavered. Nobody has ever come forward with inf- information or any sort of insinuation that, that that they knew that it was a hoax because of X. Uh, so you have to look at these things, I think, with circumspection. And I, I really, you know, I feel that it does it does our guests a disservice if we go in and hammer on them and and dog them and uh really make them feel uncomfortable i think uh, very few times do i uh, have i seen that that's effective on the show we want travis back as a guest uh i don't think we softballed him we asked tough questions we asked questions that are uh, the many of the questions that our listeners uh posted at dot com and uh Short of that, I mean, I, I want to move on here. We've got we've got some really good shows coming up here in the next few weeks. We've really been on a roll. And uh, I just, uh, I'm really, really happy to announce that the show is just taking off uh, with leaps and bounds. We're getting some very, very good quality guests here.
1: You want to give our listeners a hint of future guests other than the one that's going to be with us today? Well, we have Chris Aubeck, who I've been trying to get for
2: several years since uh, the book that he co-wrote with Jacques Vallée wonders in the sky came out about three or four years ago. And Chris is an incredibly talented and gifted researcher. He lives in Spain. We're working out the final details of, uh, of an appearance by him. And, um, there's others. Uh, I would like to get a little closer to nailing commitments down before I really talk about them, but we're on a roll here. We're, we're getting some of the top guests in the field, Guests who don't normally do radio shows, it's very, very difficult to attract guests to a radio show or podcast in this day and age. And people say, well, the only guests you have on are people trying to sell something. Well, that's generally the only time a lot of people are willing to go on a radio show is when they have a reason to do so. So we're doing our best here to get the best quality guests that we possibly can. And our, our reputation does precede us. We do get guests that will do no other show but ours. And, and I th- I'm very proud to say that the show is uh, going through some, some major changes right now uh, with, with uh, our providers. And uh, we'll have more information on all that as soon as Gene feels ready to,
1: to divulge some of the uh, particulars. Well, remember, of course, too, we try to follow the Apple Incorporated approach, which is to not reveal what we're doing until the time is right. But feel free to speculate. (laughs) I mean, it didn't hurt Apple. Apple has $165 billion in the bank. And they tell you nothing except when it's time to stage the media event. In the meantime, everybody speculates. So if you want to speculate on what the PowerCast is doing, please go ahead. I know they speculate on things about us that really shouldn't be discussed because they just don't make any sense. But at least they're talking about us. They're keeping their name. We're keeping the name in public. So spell our names right, whatever you say about us. We've got, speaking of names, a great guest today. Chris, tell us more.
2: Well, Mark D'Antonio is the official, uh, I guess, chief video and photograph analyst for MUFON. And uh, he also has his own special effects company. And as a result of those two interests, he's working now closely with Douglas Trumbull, of course, the famous special effects uh, guru in Hollywood who did uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Close Encounters, Blade Runner. Trumbull has put together quite a project called UFO TOG. And Mark is, uh, is pretty closely associated now with this project. And we're going to find out more about that. But uh, we're also going to find out some of his methodology of how he goes about analyzing purported UFO footage and photographs. And we're going to talk about the difficulties now in this digital age of actually determining authenticity. So I'm I'm really looking forward to today's show. I think it's going to be very informational,
1: and uh, we're going to learn a lot. We sure will. Mark D'Antonio, coming this week. In case you haven't heard, we've got a free copy of Chris O'Brien's book, Secrets of the Mysterious Valley, to give away. All you do is go to theparacast.com, theparacast.com, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast.
3: Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116.
5: Question, could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy source. Wheat and gluten free. Pro EM One is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro EM One daily probiotic cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T E R A G A N I X.com, or call toll free 866 369 3678. That's 866 369 3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro EM One from Teraganix. Life's getting better.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: On the Paracast this week, we're going to get down and dirty into UFOs, videos, special effects, and we're going to have the chief MUFON photo analyst, Mark D'Antonio, here. And he's a person with a real commercial special effects background, even before he gets involved in the UFO thing. Mark, welcome to the PowerCast.
6: Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: So those who might be looking for you at the International Movie Database or something, tell us your background in special effects.
6: Well, you know, I don't know that uh, yeah, I've never paid attention to the IMDb, and I don't know that I've put anything up there, but uh, I've been doing uh, visual effects, and my particular brand is uh, called uh, Organic Effects, meaning uh, not that I play with carbon-based things, but be, that I create... But
1: tell a- us the secret here. Maybe you do.
6: <laughs> well, one of the things that I like to do is I like to make special effect work uh, you know, uh, uh, effects that you can actually do in the camera. Uh, in-camera effects they're called, organic effects, um, practical effects. Now, uh, I also do CGI. I've been doing CGI for 12 years. It's it's used sparingly, and it has its place. It has very, very good usage in certain areas of special effects, Um, but it's not what we depend on. We don't depend on that. We like to create them. This is, for instance, the reason why... The, I, I work on the uh, uh, NASA's Unexplained Files programs. In season one, I created a whole bunch of visual effect uh, demonstrations to illustrate science. Because my background is astronomy, that's what I got my degree in. So when the season one folks came to me and they said, hey, you know, you know, we hear you kind of have an interest in UFOs we see all over the place. Do you think you might be able to help us out on the show? Uh, I said, sure, what do you want me to do? Uh, and you know we negotiated my involvement I got involved and next thing you know I'm doing you know these demos uh, these they call them demos they're experiments and they're science demonstrations illustrating scientific principles by which we will find other life around other stars because in my science of astronomy exoplanets are my specialty that's what I've focused on is planets around other stars the possibilities of life elsewhere etc. Um, so season two uh, is filming here in a couple weeks. And again, it's a whole bunch of demonstrations to illustrate everything from the image and video uh, and analysis role that I do to, uh, again, speculating about the prospects of life uh, here uh, and could they be here. Um, I firmly believe that they could. And then there's a scientific basis for that, not a faith-based belief in that. So my background comes from having built you know, every model as a kid that they ever sold. <laughs> okay even some that i didn't even like but because it was something i could build i was enjoying it and i would actually never follow the instructions correctly i'm the guy that always had the glue on the windshield canopies of the aircraft because i never quite paid full attention to how to handle that stuff and then as i refined my techniques over the years i started to become more and more um, uh, shall so we say proficient at building models and so now i own a, a company that that creates models and we work quite a bit for the u.s navy uh other armed services we do a lot of private work we do collector work uh and we do movies and special effects and we uh the the ufo thing came uh when i was 11 years old that's how that started because uh i was always interested in ufos and as i got older uh, i had To have a major operation when I got out of the hospital, you know, I was a kid who could no longer go out and play like the other kids for, you know, years I was recovering. And during that time, my parents decided to get me a subscription to something called the MUFON Journal, which back then was basically ditto pages stapled together that Walt Andrus would send out. Uh, that were just sort of rud- rudimentary copies of the UFO reports. And this mutual UFO network thing really caught my attention. And I've been in it on and off ever since 1971. And you know, I just have never, you know deviated. I'm part of other UFO groups. And uh, you know you meet all types of people in the UFO arena. There are people that believe simply because they don't think we could be alone, and I totally buy that. But there's also people like me who believe because science sort of uh, impresses us with a, the the notion that it would be arrogant not to, based on factual data that's coming to light, not sheer speculation. Sheer speculation is science fiction. We love science fiction. But almost everything we've thought about in science fiction has come true. And I do believe that that, that will continue to be a trend that we show as human beings. So this is me this is where i go
1: chris has a few questions for you but i wanted to ask you just one thing here now i don't know about your parents but i know my parents would never have given me as a gift a subscription to a ufo magazine (laughs) or to join a ufo club they thought i was nuts
6: (laughs) hey i gotta tell you can i can i respond to that for two seconds here please Um, I was always interested in astronomy. I always looked up and I felt homesick. I, it's just how I felt all the time. It was a 24-7. So... I told this to my parents. So one of the other gifts they got me was a telescope. So see, that was a more of a real gift, right? So the telescope helped me further my astronomy career, which, I, of course, as I said, I went to school for finally in the end. I always knew what I was going to. But I created a space station plan. I wrote it on notebook paper, and I, it was like six or seven pages long. And I think I was 10 years old when I did this. I drew out pictures. I talked about carbon dioxide reclamation, even though, you know, I didn't really fully understand what CO2 scrubbing was. And I I talked about how you'll go to the bathroom, how you'll interact, you know, how to create artificial gravity. And I built this little, uh, not model, but I built a a paper and a plan and I sent it to NASA with high hopes. And, you know, a couple months passed and I heard nothing and I heard nothing. And every once in a while I would say to my mother, Hey, I wonder whatever happened to my space station plan. And then she would always smile. Well, you know, they're busy. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I waited a little longer. Well, one day I come home from school and my mother's got this incredulous look on her face. She says, you're not going to believe what arrived for you today. And I went in the living room. There's this giant box. It's to a kid now, it looked like to the size of a refrigerator box to me as a kid, but in reality, it was like a 18-inch by 20 by 3-foot long box. It was long. I opened it up, and I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. There were books. There were brochures. There were cloth mission patches from all the manned programs to that point. There were all kinds of... Interesting things. There were some models in there of spacecraft that I could build. And I was like incredulous, like, where did this come from? And I asked my parents, Did you buy this? No, it showed up. And when I looked on the top, there was my space station plan with a note from the scientist at NASA who reviewed it. Every single page had little check marks and you know, words like, Hey, good suggestion, <laughs> good idea, you know, blah, blah, blah. At the end, uh, he, he wrote a little note and then included it as a letter. It was from a guy whose name was Bert Lee, Gentry Lee, who's currently the head of the robotics space Director at JPL. That man is the reason I went fully invested into astronomy. I talked to Gentry sometime in, the, uh, in a couple of years ago and reminded him of the story and we vowed to keep in contact. Uh, I think he would just be a, uh, he's, a, he's a marvelous resource and a tremendous guy.
1: It'll be not so tremendous if we don't do our break right now. Mark D'Antonio is with Gene and Chris. We're in The Paracast. Free from the shackles
7: of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers.
8: GCN. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and affording phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free. Stress,
9: like many conditions in a fast-paced society, is at epidemic proportions. And one of the most effective ways to support your body during periods of excessive stress is by replacing the nutrients expended during that time. De-stress contains large amounts of B-complex vitamins, in addition to vitamin C, magnesium, and valerian root extract. For more information on this and other great products, contact Lady Talk Live at 855-333-5239. Majestic Earth's Beyond Tangy Tangerine contains no artificial sweeteners or preservatives and is glycemic-friendly. This easy-dissolving powder contains plant-derived minerals, vitamins, amino acids, and 115 fruits and vegetables. I can't think of anything better for you. For more information on this and other great products, contact Lady Talk Live at 855-333-5239. That's 855-333-LADY.
7: hi my name is richard dolan you're listening
1: to the paracast mark d'antonio is our guest this week he's The chief guy who does the photo analysis and everything over at MUFON. Of course, they don't use titles that elaborate. They're more circumspect, but I'm just having fun with it. Mark, Chris has a couple of questions. It's a follow-up to you. Go ahead. For some of our listeners who aren't aware of the
2: term in-camera effects, could you describe what that is? Uh, And and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're talking about uh, filming miniatures, creating the illusion of size, for instance, uh, with special effects.
6: You know, Chris, that's a very good point, and you know, and I, I do, I do tend to gloss over it. Um, but part of the reason that we're in this business with ufology that we're in at all is because people sometimes don't have a full understanding of how cameras work and how you can use a camera. I have a line that I say to people all the time. That line is: cameras can take pictures of ordinary objects and make them look extraordinary when you do that, that applies to that insect that flew through the frame, that applies to the bird flying through the air that was mistaken for a UFO. Not everything will be a mistake, but we want to weed those out. But anyway, regarding special effects, one of the problems you have uh, if you look at all the old movies that have all these wonderful special effects and ships on the ocean, you can see that they're models. And seeing that they're models is, is accomplished by your eye and your brain working together to see that there's something not quite right with the way the water looks. The water doesn't have that that fine resolution of spray that you would expect for you know, a ship going through the ocean. This is because of the scale of the model. The larger the model, the more realistic the water will look. And we have no control over water. Water will operate the way water operates. You know, It has small, round, undulating waves. But in the ocean, where there's big storm waves, you see how they operate. They're much slower. They come to a peak. They have spray coming off the top, and they have very fine ripples and lines in them that you just can't force water to do when you're using a smaller five- or six-foot-long you know, ship model and expect the same results. You know, As a visual effects artist, we have to use other means uh, to do things like that. When we're using our cameras, the first thing that's important, most important with a camera is to make sure that the entire thing is in focus. Now, you'll take a picture sometimes, and you'll notice that you were trying to take a picture of the person in front of the camera, but instead you focused on the wall behind the person, and the person's a little out of focus. But the wall's sharp. <laughs> well, the wall wasn't your subject. That's called a depth of field error. Okay, The depth of the field, in other words, the distance from the lens to as far as you are uh, interested in shooting has to be in focus. That's called depth of field, the depth of focus, right? From the camera on out. You can set the depth of field to be from... 10 inches away from your camera all the way to the farthest horizon or you can set it to be a point five foot one inches from the camera to five foot ten inches from the camera you know they can make it a very shallow depth of field a very shallow plane and thickness of the focal range and so we play with that all the time and One of the considerations that you have to concern yourself with is that to get more focus and sharp pictures and visual effects arena with a model, you need to have the camera what's called stopped down. You all hear, you know, you know, to some extent, most people know about f-stop of a camera. That's the size of the opening that's allowing the light in through the lens. Well, that can vary. You can have it at f or you can have it at f22 uh now the difference is f2 is wide open and then everything graded and you know, you know gradually in between goes to a smaller and smaller and smaller opening until it's the size of a pinhead at like f32 or f22
1: you know let's so, not get too technical here mark because most people who handle photography these days do it with their smartphones and I'm going to ask you about that too, which is we've got all these smartphones with more and more sophisticated features. So just this past weekend, Apple introduced the iPhone 6. And the iPhone 6 Plus, the bigger one with a five and a half inch screen, has such things as optical image stabilization. It's just one focal length. You don't have, you know, multiple lenses and stuff like that. So is it possible to create a credible special effect or fake UFO picture? With your iPhone or with your Samsung Galaxy?
6: Or with a GoPro camera, which has, you know, 170-degree field. We just uh, premiered a movie in Seattle, Toronto, and Amsterdam this past few months. In fact, Amsterdam was just this past week, and it's called Ufotog. Ufotog? U-F-O-T-O-G, yeah. And uh, we'll explain that if you want. but uh, I don't think
1: I have the stomach for it. Let's go on.
6: Ufotog was A pioneering effort in 3D, where we actually show Doug's process of creating a very, very high-intensity 3D experience, unlike anything ever seen, and it works. It's it it is that way. In fact, you know, we've had a lot of very high-end people in Hollywood and so forth attend the premieres, and they were blown away. It's a coming technology that's going to be utilized in the movie industry. But that aside, that's 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 a separate thing altogether. The, the importance that I'm trying to get at is when you, when you look at UFO photos taken with an iPhone or what have you, you have a chance, depending on the tools you have at your disposal, to pretty much make that anything you want. When we filmed our movie, we used GoPro cameras for some of the scenes. And the way we utilized the GoPro cameras later in the overall footage, even though the GoPros weren't 3D cameras, okay, we still managed to get very high quality, cinema quality delivery of that footage, even though uh, we couldn't shoot it that way at the time. So there are ways to manipulate footage, uh, no matter what you take it with. So let me just say that's that's the first point. The iPhone six with you know uh, multi megapixel cameras are are beautiful, and I think that could you create a credible. Uh, visual effect with a phone. Absolutely. Um, you know, there are apps right now that you could insert a UFO into, uh, you know, the, uh, frame of a picture and, and make it look semi-real. I get those all the time. And, you know, because I've, I, I myself have taken well over half a million photos of the night sky and I've taken every single bad picture you can take. So I recognize a lot of the artifacts right off the bat. And so we can dismiss a lot of those. Uh, The UFO applications, uh, I studied all the various kinds of fake UFOs in these apps, and now I can recognize those because you can't change them too much, and so you can recognize them easily. So those we can dismiss pretty quickly. But uh, the phones themselves have the ability to uh, allow you to do some really interesting things. There are programs and apps you can download that actually allow you to add special effects to your footage or to your image and to even edit them. And this is something that, you know, we all have to contend with as investigators in the UFO arena.
2: That kind of leads us to a question uh, from one of our listeners who, who posted at forum.theparacast.com where our listeners can ask questions of our guests
1: and team sheep squatch, as he calls himself. uh, I can't get over that name, Chris.
2: (laughs) That has
1: got to be the best name of anybody in the forum.
6: And you complained about Ufotog? <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> oh, you should see some of the names of uh, of our listeners on online here. But he, he's asking a, a very similar question to uh, to what Gene posed. But he wants to know what kind of advice you could give folks that have um, sophisticated uh, camera phones. Uh, he has an iPhone 5S, uh, for instance. And he, he says, can you give us some advice on how to take better pictures and videos a real aerial phenomena with a cell phone. He, he says he's tried to photograph several unusual objects in the last few months, and he, he never seems to be able to get a good sh- a good shot. And um, like I said, he does have an iPhone 5S. Yeah,
6: you know, when you look at the size of the, the lens system on there and the size of the sensor on the phone, you get what you get. You know, there's no telephoto lens that you can stick on there, as you pointed out. Um, there is no... Uh, larger picture size other than the native raw size that you get with the iPhone, which actually isn 't that bad when you look at the phones and the way the lens systems work it's it 's going to be a little bit difficult uh, to try and expect a very small lens system to have the kind of clarity that a larger lens system has with the surface area of the lens that can take in light rays and focus them you know to a, a sensor properly then the size of the sensor in the uh, phones is much smaller than the size in, say, a commercial Nikon camera. Let's
1: discuss the limitations more in our next segment. Mark D'Antonio is with us. Stop the presses. We've just learned that Chris Aubeck, best known as co-author with Jacques Vallée of Wonders in the Sky, will be on the Paracast next week. Chris Aubeck. Here in the Paracast. Headlines.
7: Suspensions, FCC investigations. That's Men, California. Hear him here.
0: GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com.
12: Have you heard? Proactive Plus is faster and better than ever. Stay tuned for a million bottle giveaway and you'll also receive free shipping. Do you have troubled skin, acne? Well, we have great news. With Proactive Plus, your acne can heal and you can help prevent new breakouts from happening. Don't miss this limited time offer. Give us a call at 800-538-5252 because we're going to let a million people try Proactive Plus risk-free and get two free gifts and also receive free shipping when you call right now.
14: Limited number of free programs available. Call now. 1-888-912-1595. 1-888-912-1595. That's 1-888-912-1595. one 912 1595
15: This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: Mark D'Antonio, who does photo analysis for MUFON, lots of commercial special effects experience. We're talking about the limitations of your iPhone, your Android, your Nokia Lumia. And I think they're taking away Nokia, so it'll just be Lumia. Don't ask me to explain all this. (laughs) But the point being here, the limitations of these little tiny cameras. But I think one of the arguments people make, Mark D'Antonio, is that if so many people have these smartphones, we're talking about hundreds of millions of people out there all around the world have these gadgets. The cameras are getting better and better, especially on the high end products. So why aren't people getting more pictures of UFOs? My feeling is the big reason is that when they have these devices, they're looking down and texting or something, and they're not looking up to see anything.
6: They're looking at their thumbs. You're exactly right. And that's, that's precisely where I was going to go with the answer is that uh, when you talk to someone and you say, what a beautiful starry night it is, then they look up and go, wow, <laughs> that gives you the answer right there. People are earthbound. They look down. They look horizontally. They, they very rarely look up unless something draws their attention, like a sound crash, an airplane or whatever. A especially lot of things, if
2: you live in Manhattan.
6: Especially <laughs> if you yeah, right. Uh, but the truth is that uh, most people don't look up. It's like people who say, I don't believe those airline pilots who say they see UFOs. How come the passengers didn't see any? Have you ever, as I have, observed the passengers on an airliner with the express purpose of documenting the statistical amount of time that passengers are actually looking out the window? First of all, for the windows that are open, believe it or not, a full 20% of those windows are closed because people aren't looking out the windows. They're shutting them to take a nap or to sleep. But. The majority of the people are looking at publications or their, you know, their phones in airplane mode or working on a laptop. The window is now a secondary item. It used to be the primary viewing port to the world in a plane, and it was spectacular. But it's, it's old news now. I'm the only one staring out the window all the time, and, yeah. and your angle of view is really tiny. So you don't even see. You can't see up over the plane. You can't see down below the plane. You know, you only have a very, very narrow cone out of each window. So uh, I don't have any issue with people saying that, uh, you know... There were the pilots saying that they've seen things because I'm sure they could see things that we'll never see out of the windows.
1: I just think when you say that you're seeing things out the windows, I think of that Twilight Zone episode with <laughs> William Shatner. Yes. Where he yes. sees this creature out there and he's freaking yeah. out and nobody else sees the creature hanging out on the wing.
6: Right until the pilot at the end sees the whole engine torn apart underneath and goes, hmm. You know, wasn't that the, was that devil on the wing or something like that? I can't remember the name of the episode.
1: This is before Shatner overacted on Star Trek. He was overacting on Twilight Zone.
6: He was, and I'll tell you why. Because he can.
1: (laughs) Before Chris's question. The rumor of the day, before Chris asks a question. They will reunite William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy in a cameo in Star Trek Three.
2: Chris. I must interject here, Mark, that probably some of the, the most amazing, incredible footage I've ever seen uh, has been shot out airliner windows with a film camera, not not a video camera, including one um, sequence that was shot over Mexico, where an object, uh, tr- uh, trufo, if you will, either, either the either the gravitational field or the magnetic field. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I it's probably a, a gravity field. Optically collapses the horizon in the distance, and the amount of of. <laughs> science that you can do with those few frames off that movie is just off the charts, and uh, The gentleman who took that footage, Ray Stanford, has three sets of footage taken with a, eight, a super eight millimeter camera um, out airliner windows. And and some of the analysis work that he's done on these photographs, I, I really strongly suggest that you uh, you get up to speed with some of the work that, uh, that he's doing. But we have a bunch of questions and, you know, I want to uh, get a, a kind of a sense of, of how you um, how you sort of uh, relate to the whole subject of UFOs. And, okay. you know, when it comes to, to analyzing uh, photos and videos, um, one of our posters, Psychedelic Alchemist, wants to know how you go about separating the wheat from the chafe when it comes to photos and videos of UFOs. What is your methodology?
6: Well, there's, there's, first of all, my my approach is uh, a scientific approach where I take the approach uh, that is the following, and, and people call me a debunker for this, and I'm certainly not. I'm a believer. I've had a, a, a terrifying experience of my own that I certainly can't explain and that I live with every day.
1: I will ask you to explain that experience after you answer Chris's sure. question.
6: Um, but the methodology that I use is I endeavor to try to explain An object in terms of something that might be, as I said before, an ordinary object captured in an extraordinary way. Um, This methodology works very well to try and weed out the uh, mistaken objects from potential real objects. My goal is to not be able to solve one of these mysteries. That's my goal. And I'm disappointed every time I do. Now, the question is uh, when I look at a photo, and I see a blur, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that go through your mind, okay? But when I see a photo taken at night where the flash went off, I use a different approach. And it's like almost every single scenario has a different approach required, okay? And I'll tell you why. Um, When the flash goes off, a whole set of parameters and a whole set of things happen uh, that you have to pay attention to. Things that are instantaneously illuminated by a flash become important, whereas... When you just have a exposure, someone took of the cool storm cloud and there's this really cool looking uh, streaked blur that they didn't see when they took the picture,
16: uh,
6: that is a different approach, that is a regular photo. So you don't care about instantaneously lit things, you care about things that are actually dragged out and blurred in a short time exposure, okay? So when you look at say that streak in the sky, to rebuild that streak as a bird, uh, takes some effort, but it takes experimentation. And, and one of the things that I do nowadays, uh, and I've been doing it now for about a year, is when I see a UFO photograph or video that I can't you know, readily um, explain without sounding like I'm saying, say, it's a trick of light and shadow or something, I recreate it so that I can actually, uh, and this is my methodology, so I can actually show why I believe it's what it is, instead of just saying what I believe it's what it is, I show them why. And this is in part because I don't want people to think that I'm just debunking things. I want them to see that I'm not doing that, but I'm actually doing experimentation. And when I have the time, I will do this. There was a a disc at a Catula, Texas oil field. And I saw this disc and I, to me, it looked like, hmm, the security camera took a time exposure, a two second or one second exposure. And that looks like a car that was caught on the video with its blinker on going through the field. And uh, I was immediately harassed for that until I recreated it. And I took my truck up to a parking lot at night, and I did the exact same thing, and I reproduced exactly what that disc looked like using my truck. So then people went silent because they realized, well, okay, you know, there it is right in front of you. So methodology, main methodology is that you know there is no particular methodology based on a scenario uh, or based on all scenarios but it's it's specific to each but the most important thing is i try to recreate it and that is something that really really helps that's how i that's how i uh, explained the nasa tether incident for a national geographic show i actually recreated the nasa tether incident in the studio and we went right through did everything showed how all those things occurred show how they weren't really large ufo's in fact Ninety miles away, there were small, out of focus particles in the foreground. And when I showed it, um, you can't argue with what you see with your own eyes, you know. And so it's it's tough uh, sometimes, but uh, you know, recreating it actually makes the difference.
2: In this age of uh, CG and and um, digital effects that are very uh, accessible and and coming down in price, I mean, uh, weekly <laughs> it seems, yeah, it's getting more and more. Easier, actually, it's getting easier for people to to come up with some what appear to 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 the amateur, I think, to be fairly uh, impressive uh, UFOs. But real UFOs don't look like the Billy Meyer wedding cake, uh, the famous wedding cake shot, or the Adamski yeah. shot with the three uh, yeah. uh, sawed in half uh,
1: golf uh, ping pong balls right. underneath. Well, you see what happened here is that was a big fan of ping-pong balls. And he imagined that E.T. loved to play ping-pong. And they loved it so much, they used the ping-pong balls as landing gear for the UFOs. Does this make any sense, ladies and gentlemen? I know it doesn't, but we have to do our break. Mark D'Antonio is the <laughs> chief analyst of photos and videos for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. A lot of ground to cover. And maybe you'll learn after this how not to fake a UFO photo and how to capture the picture of one if you do see something strange. With Gene and with Chris, you're in the Paracast.
7: We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network.
4: G-C-N. Next to water and food, you need a safe, storable fuel supply for your preparedness needs. Spare fuel is the answer. Spare fuel can be used in any gas-powered vehicle or generator. Spare fuel is perfect for any unforeseen out-of-gas emergencies. Unlike gasoline, spare fuel is safe to store with your other supplies, and it can be stored for many years. Go to GetSpareFuel.com for special pricing. That's GetSpareFuel.com.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, talking to Mark D'Antonio, the person who analyzes photos, the chief photo analyst for MUFON. Just want to mention something here. We still have that free copy Of Secrets of the Mysterious Valley to give away. It's the ebook version. And here's how you get a copy you go to theparacast.com, theparacast.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and within a few days, you'll get your copy of the book. Chris, you want to pursue further questions?
2: Well, there are uh, several questions that kind of are asking the same thing. And that is obviously, the vast majority of UFO photos and videos can be explained in one way or another. Do you think it's a waste of time to pour over hundreds and hundreds of shots and maybe come up with a handful that uh, that pass muster and, and are truly anomalous? I mean, don't you ever <laughs> kind of scratch your head and go, why do I do this? I mean, what's well. the motivation? Is your motivation <laughs> to really find that, that slam dunk shot or, or a bit of footage? And and uh, doesn't it get a little bit depressing and, and kind of boring after a while pouring over Out-of-focus insects, uh, orbs caught at night, uh, particulate matter close to the camera illuminated, out-of-focus in a flash, uh, insects, uh, birds with their wings folded, uh, die-bombing, that sort of thing. Does it get old after a while?
6: You want to know something? It doesn't. you know why? Because the only thing standing between us and extraterrestrial visitors is their science. We have to further our science. And it means going down this path. This is how we're going to do it. It's like... The only way we're going to find life around other worlds, in my view, is to analyze the atmospheres of the planets from Earth as we can see them around, you know, planets around other stars. If we see oxygen in a planet that has, a, it's in its, you know, habitable zone where water can exist, then the likelihood that that's produced by life is fairly high. We have to walk a path before we can get to that end point where we actually have some confidence and we can actually see potentially uh, alien life. I think that if, Aliens exist, as I believe they do, and that they're probably here and have been here. But it's not a mystery to me, you know, the, the, the Fermi paradox, you know, well, you know, where are they? It's not a mystery to me that, that, that no one's seeing them because I believe that the techniques required, and this is a scientific belief, that the techniques required to travel interstellar will preclude them from being particularly visible in our X, Y, and Z all moving through time of our universe, our universe in particular. And that's, you know, sounds science fiction, but it's actually related into string theory, which we're not going to get into, of course. But as far as disappointment, no, you know, because this is... To me, a means to an end. Am I disappointed that this particular really cool video turned out to just be a CG fake? Well, sure. You know, you can call that disappointment. Or um, well, you can hire the guy. <laughs> well, yeah, that's actually happened. But in particular, we've been very pleased. I've been very pleased that the uh, you know photo analysis unit team within MUFON uh, is is with me has been very very dedicated to learning the idiosyncratic behavior of cameras, whether cell phone, infrared, specialty platforms. But to the to that end, in trying to get past the issue with cameras, that's where Doug Trumbull and I come in and with our system. I mentioned to you before, and you and I, I think it was uh, you know, Eugene that, that, that laughed at, at, at the name uh, UFOTOG. Uh, but UFOTOG was Doug Trumbull's original invention, which was a Humvee with a hydraulic lift that brought multiple instruments out of it to scan the night sky. And the idea was that multiple instruments would take in their own versions of the sighting. Now, that was one unit. And when I joined Doug around five years ago, I said, "Why don't we make this thing smaller and make it a deployable platter, and have them talk to each other, send us our, you know, alerts by satellite, and we can go the whole nine yards." And he was intrigued. Yeah, but you got to know where to park it. Actually, let me explain that. When you when you look at the night sky, it's huge. You're absolutely right. So what we've done is, we I actually put together a team of scientists from around the the country, and, and most of them uh, are all uh national laboratory scientists either current or former and they're all on board and they're all working with us and they're creating uh units that are going to be on these platters um you know we're we're all doing this out of our pocket right now we're not funded yet you know doug and i were talking about options for funding and so forth there's there are people that are very motivated in in getting involved with us but one of the things that's important here is that each of our systems is going to be a small serving dish-sized platter with cameras that are going to look at the sky all the time. It's going to look in the ultraviolet, infrared, visible range. It's going to have ways to detect aircraft and know that they're aircraft and not other things. It has, yep. They have onboard satellite database, so they can actually see that that little light going over is actually uh, you know a, uh, a satellite. And which one um <laughs> right, so that, and, and like
2: there are software uh packages like FlightAware, for instance that'll give you right. the name of all transponded flights
6: right right the ones that have that you know, are you gonna
2: have re- motion detection and record on motion
6: in, in the way that actually works actually is each frame of the camera will simply it's going to be subtracted from the you know, previous frame anything that's there is something that shouldn't be there it's, it's a new it's a new alert so uh it'll then average those out over a few frames and see if it's really there or an artifact of the of the camera because they can do that and that determines what there's an alert that's a very simple explanation for a very complicated process but one of the scientists on the team is the guy that created with his team the lunar uh, uh, orbiter clementine's camera so we're talking about people that get these things working right out of the box, okay? These guys, you don't put a satellite in orbit and have it say, oops, I forgot to connect that wire. You know, <laughs> you know These guys get it right out of the box. And so the UFATOG platters are called UFATOG-2 as the successor. And our goal is to deploy them in hotspots uh, that people have identified. Um, we've talked to some native peoples and they're motivated to allow us onto their lands to place units there. Um, give know, us I, a
2: short list of some of the hotspot areas you've ID
6: well uh, we have a couple that you know we have for instance there's one Native American reservation for instance that has a generational exposure to unidentified flying objects now, just because we talk about native peoples doesn't mean they didn't go to college and that they're not educated. These people are very smart people and they know the difference between airplanes and satellites and all that. And and they even understand the natural uh, phenomena like lights that occur because of magnetic field interactions on the ground, all right, uh, more so than a lot of other people. And these people being so savvy are dumbfounded by the fact that there's some lights that keep showing up out in their uh, reservation lands that have no source. They don't seem to be coming from somewhere. anywhere. So they want to know what they are. So that's an example. Uh, We heard about in in the 1990s, there was a USO, an unknown submerged object uh, flap that occurred uh, off the Santa Catalina uh, in the santa candelina channel in southern california and that's a relatively deep channel that had really odd occurrences over 200 sightings occurred over just a few you know weeks or days and so we would go to those kind of hot spots all right and we also want to deploy regularly because we believe that they're out there uh, you know and and around here we think i think that if they would come interstellar that they would set up probably deep in our oceans because they could and that's the place to go not because of the movie the abyss i thought about this before the abyss and when i saw that movie i said hey that's what i think
1: <laughs> well hollywood steals ideas from everyone
6: yes they do but but the point the point is here that Uh, these systems aren't just visual. Our our platters aren't going to be visual systems alone. We have radiation detectors, magnetic field detectors, EMF detectors. We have corroborative data, meaning I corroborate the data with another piece of data that's independently acquired. If we have a visual object come into our field and we see it, oh, look, there's a little thing flying into the field. Then we see uh, the magnetic anomaly detector now says whoa the magnetic field is shifting now and then we see that the emf uh, you know the electro electricity and static charge in the area is now increasing radically that's important one yeah. thing is corroborating it's either you have multiple data points to one sighting rather than just a strange light that would just be dismissed say as a satellite or possibly an airplane
1: and that's always the problem with a lot of the photos we see could be anything. Mark D'Antonio does this sort of thing for a living in terms of special effects and analysis, and also works with MUFON. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code,
8: What good is a big Berkey water filter?
18: filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at bigberkeywaterfilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call one 99 berkey That's eight seven seven ninety nine 99 berkey Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water. Is your money manager giving you safety and security?
19: Wouldn't you like to make your money work harder for you? Then you should consider joining philsgang.com, where thousands of individual investors have successfully profited.
5: This year, I'm up 60% on my portfolio. Following your system has been fantastic. I've been with you for about a month and a half now, and I'm already up 7%.
6: I've been in the
17: business for a long time, and you're really one of the best I've ever heard. Well, I just want to let you know how great what a great teacher you are. For over a
19: decade, Philsgang.com's Phil Grandy and Donald Cogswell have been teaching, coaching, and investing right along with all Phil's gang members. I
20: want to thank Donnie for market wrap. I bought 2,500 shares of AUI and sold it this morning at $820 profit.
19: Why not join thousands of satisfied Phil's Gang customers today? Go to philsgang.com, philsgang.com, or call 877-600-4264. That's 877-600-4264.
0: Call today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Here on the Paracast, we have Mark D'Antonio, who's educating all of us now on practical issues involved in getting a decent photo of a UFO, even if you see one. Yeah, and, but, but we're, we're missing a point here. The point sure. being that triangulation
2: having multiple cameras focused on a single aerial event is is the the golden egg. That yes. is where you're going to get uh, some of the best quality data. I love the idea of, of having uh, magnetic field detectors, EMF, uh, even radar would be uh, pretty nice to have as well. And,
6: we talked about it. it's too expensive to implement on the first phase. <laughs> yeah, there's
2: marine uh, radar units that you can have on a robotic platform that go out to forty miles, and with a certain amount of dampening, you can actually have that uh, have a a, a very a narrow window, which would be tied to the uh, to the actual location of the object. I'm I'm involved in a in a project called the San Luis Valley Camera Project, where we're going to be putting cameras on cell towers and mountaintops, and uh, we're working with a software designer to attempt to you know design uh, detect on uh, motion and then uh, you know motion tracking software based on the real shot manager platform mm-hmm. so that we can get triangulated data. A single camera is only going to be able to tell you so much. If you have a, right. a minimum of two, uh, obviously vantage points and, and the optimum will be three or more, you'll be able to d- determine all sorts of <laughs> wonderful things, size, distance, data, yeah. energy yeah. extension,
6: I'm sorry, Chris, in the last segment when we talked about our units, I was talking about a singular unit, but you didn't ask me how we're planning on deploying them. And I've done presentations around the country discussing our deployment methodology, and we call them triads. We deploy them in equilateral triangles, one at each point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we need to have corroborative data at each platter location. But we also need the corroborating data between two points or three points, because we want altitude, speed, distance, you know, all that information. So that, in fact, is the only way that we can reliably say that that's a satellite and uh, not something that's simulating a satellite at forty-seven thousand feet. See what I mean? So yeah.
2: we would. Well, have to I've have got that. a really good place for you to deploy your one of your first uh, systems. <laughs> it has one be? of the highest incidence of ufos uh sightings per capita berkeley and i personally investigated hundreds and hundreds of sightings during the 90s there's been a recent uh upsurge in activity in the last couple months so we should definitely talk at some point here down the road about possibly dovetailing our efforts I, i've got sure. a uh, software engineer uh, who recently retired from cisco that's helping us uh top-notch guy we he started school at oxford at 16 a uh, brilliant brilliant man
6: well so, you should you should mention we definitely him.
2: should compare notes i think
6: go ahead we we'll, we will talk um but you should also make sure that he uh has uh if you have more than one unit to do this triangulation then you want to you want to include something we're doing and that is uh these little xb radios XB is a nice protocol. It's a little tiny radio. It's the size of your thumb, has a six-mile range. And if the thing sees something, if you have it, say, you know, two miles out somewhere, you'll get an alert. But the nice thing is we're using them to communicate between nodes of the equilateral triangles so that each one of these units will know that there's an alert in progress and will focus and try and acquire data in a particular uh, direction. Now, there's no moving parts in these platters. These things are actually um, separate cameras all pointing at one dedicated region of their sky. So what that means is if a northwestern pointing camera, say, to keep it easy, uh, on unit one in a group of three sees something, it's going to talk to the other guy down the line in that same triangle and say, hey, do you see this? And then its camera is going to get a higher priority and see if it can see that. Uh, and actually institute perhaps some time exposures to try and grab some PATH data or whatever. And That's see what a great we can-
2: idea. For longer uh, tr- triangle legs, though, what we've uh, come up with is a system that operates uh, with, with a surprising uh, amount of, of, of resolution uh, over the internet. And really, the latency issues uh, have been uh, surmounted. And uh, if you're in an area that has Internet. Um, there is a way to actually utilize the the internet without having uh, latency problems.
6: Interesting, and and then the other thing that uh, we like we do also is we know we also have a cell antenna on there because basically there's the equivalent of a track phone included on each unit so that it can actually phone home you know or or you know uh, call us or allow us to dial into it. Uh, in phase two, we're planning on an FTP server on each one of these so we can actually go get all the information. Uh, directly uh, once we see an alert. But the question of how we're going to see an alert is interesting because we're not always going to have cell service. We're not always going to have internet. In fact, we'll have cell service and probably no reasonably fast internet, Uh, you know, if it's like only a 4G uh, type situation. So what we're doing, and this already works, is when there's an alert, the platter sends a, a, a signal to a GPS satellite. And that GPS satellite alerts us on our smartphones and says, hey, look, I found something. Here's the coordinates. Here's who I am. Here's my ID. You know, time to go check this out. Um, So Yeah, time to fire up the Hummer. That's it, right? Well, the... uh, and actually, that's part of the reason why we're doing these platters actually is because in some of these sites we want to go to, there's there's no access. You can't get there uh, by a vehicle, no matter how tough it is. You know, it's only uh, accessible by air perhaps, or by long, arduous hike, you know because we're looking at doing some remote work in order to uh, study the remote areas that have had uh, you know interesting uh, events going on. Now, uh, that all said, Uh, I think it's important to, to again, understand that the GPS solution is off the shelf. We didn't have to invent that. You know, we're building off the spot system, which is uh, used by people who sail around the world. It's used by uh, uh, extreme hikers who do remote work. Uh, When uh, there was a book I was going to help on with on volcanoes um, and It would have taken us to uh, Papua New Guinea, where we've been, you know, walking up the slopes of volcanoes there. And in order for us to be able to tell people where we were, there's no cell service, there's no internet, we just push a button on our waistband, and that little button transmits a pulse to a GPS satellite, which goes to anyone you want and tells them anything you want. So it's a tremendous uh, system, and we're going to modify it for each of our platters to be an alert system because uh, it's already built into the GPS protocols. It's great. So this is how, you know, you get signal when you don't have any. And then uh, if people have to go out there and, and retrieve data manually for the first phase, that's okay. We have caught the data. It's on a high-res, you know, card on board in phase one, you know. Now, let me just
1: ask a couple of questions here, and we have to break in a moment. I think the main question, of course, is, This is all predicated on a certain degree of predictability in some areas of UFO sightings, because if you're dealing with events that you can't predict, it's pretty difficult to set things up in advance. Most of the problems we have with UFO photos and movies is the fact that these are unplanned events, and suddenly a person who may not be very trained is forced to try to do the best they can And regardless of the quality of the camera, it may not be good enough. Let's get to more of this in a moment. We have Mark D'Antonio joining Gene and Chris. You're in. The Paracast.
7: We are America's largest independently owned communications network. GCN.
8: You can't afford to wait, so call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335.
7: Genesis is defined as an origin, creation, or the beginning. Genesis Communications Network began with the mission of providing you with the kind of compelling content you're listening to now. And at GCNlive.com, you'll find a free archive of our nation's history, narrated by GCN hosts. Explore, share, and pass down to future generations. GCN is the future of talk radio, but we should always strive to learn from our past. Together, we are GCNlive.com. G-C-N.
21: Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the
3: Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So we're learning all the great techniques that Mark and his colleagues are setting up here to be able to Take pictures, triangulate, do the things that are necessary to get really good, solid photos of UFOs, if only they cooperate.
2: <laughs> you could write a scientific paper if you got triangulated footage with the kind of gear that Mark and and,
1: and Trumbull are, are you using. Oh, absolutely. But I wanted to just ask something else that you raised earlier in the show, and I don't want to get away from it because sure. of the fact that you're trained in astronomy, Mark. And that is... These extrasolar planets that we're discovering all in all. Now, physically sp- speaking here, these satellite born telescopes, Kepler and then the Hubble telescope some years back, they didn't actually see something. They see the effects of something on a star to determine there's a planet there, right?
6: That's an outstanding point. For most people, they say, you know, we, we they hear we found the planet. Oh, cool. And then they produce this rendered image of a planet that's obviously meant to be just a rendered image, and people say, "Look, there it is." No, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, to give you an idea of the problem, uh, Alpha Centauri is the closest star system to us. There's three stars in that star system. We found a planet around one of those stars. All right. Now, Alpha Centauri is uh, one of the components is is just a little bit bigger than the sun. Now, if I were to hold a quarter coin, the quarter coin out as far away from the camera as I had to go so that the size of the diameter of that coin would be the same diameter as the star. I'd have to move that coin away from the camera 750 miles for it to be the same diameter as the star. And the planet is 100 times smaller than that. So we can't yet see the disks of stars as big as they are. Only a few. And only through a very special process that we use in order to remove the effects of atmosphere and the effects uh, of uh, turbulence in the interstellar medium. Okay, so that gives you an idea of how difficult it is to see planets. So when you say we see an effect, you're right. We see the change, the minuscule micro change in the light coming from the star because the planet may be crossing in front of it. And that's called a transit. That's just one of the methods used to determine whether a uh, star has planets around it. There are several methods. And, and I actually have a book called The Populated Universe, which is coming out soon. And it talks about all this. Everything we've been talking about, it, it, it details exoplanet science. And you know, and in layman's terms, it explains how we're finding planets and what it means to us. And why life, I believe, is predestined in the universe. Because the universe is creating the building blocks of life just by itself, and I, I talk about the science of that. But when we look at the size of planets and the way we detect them, it's so monumentally difficult to determine and make that final conclusion that that little tiny dip in the change of the light around that star was due to a planet. You have to then take one of the other techniques that are used to determine if there's planets around other stars and then initiate a study on that star with that technique. And there's another two or three years you got to wait, or four years. And then you say, Yep, that one confirms that there is a similar uh, change uh, in the star, you know, that's an independent change from the transit dimming of the light. Then you say, Okay, that candidate is now a planet. But now you know it's a planet, but what kind of planet? Is it a Jupiter type planet? Is it an Earth type planet? How do you know? How do you know where its orbit is around the star? How do you know its size, its mass, whether it has an atmosphere or not? All these things, believe it or not, we're actually able to get answers to for the most part. We can't determine atmospheres yet. We can't really determine the sizes as well as we want to. It depends on a lot of things. And for the most part the Jupiter sized planets are easy to easier to see than the small ones like earth. Earth is a very small planet and especially when it's a few light years away or even a thousand light years away. So when we're looking at the at the distant stars it's it's monumentally difficult to try and find a planet that's earth sized. We can find planets that are like Jupiter and above because they're bigger. So we can see their Transit information when they block some light of the star easier than a smaller rocky planet But what's interesting is we can detect on those planets. We can actually start to make uh, Get an idea of their orbits around that star and if we notice that that orbit is changing a little Well, then maybe something else is influencing it such as another planet Not all stars have planets that are passing between us uh, and them Okay, So that means that the plane of the orbit of that solar system has to be edge-on to us so that we'll actually see a planet dim some of the star's light as it passes in front. That's just a statistical occurrence that favors us. That's nothing that you expect and that will be out there. They're at all angles whatsoever. So a statistical sampling of what we found so far shows us that just in our own galaxy, we probably have in excess of 18 to 20 billion Earth-like planets. And that is an astonishing result because it's based on science. It's not based on Star Trek. It's not based on other science fiction. It's based on research in the exoplanet field so far. So as hard as it is to find planets, we are finding them all over the place. And it turns out planets are more plentiful than stars in the universe.
1: Just one question before we get back to the UFO thing, and that is here. Obviously, we're looking at the impact, the side effects of a planet and making a lot of guesses. What are the chances that our technique of performing this ledger domain might just not be that correct?
6: Well, uh, there's uncertainty in every single calculation. Every every single planet in the exoplanet database uh, carries with it some uncertainty. Some are better known than others because there's more than one technique that, that corroborated—again, that corroborative data is so, so important in science—that that corroborated that find. And it's possible that there are erroneous data points. As a matter of fact, some candidates that were about to be declared planets were shown to be giant spots on the star. We have sunspots on our sun. Some stars have star spots, and based on the uh, amount of time it took for the spot to go around, it was mistaken for a planet. So without an actual visual inspection of a solar system, everything is through inference and through it looks like it's causing A, so B must be because A exists. I mean, it's a strange convoluted path, but right now uh, in our database, we have 2,000 confirmed uh, plus you know, uh, planets that are confirmed as real exoplanets. Most of those are like Jupiter, but there is a small fraction that's that's more in the habitable range of the star and could very potentially uh, have water on their surfaces. How will we know? Again, we have to corroborate the data using a different technique that doesn't, you know, you know, that's not impacted by the first.
1: Or just get there, and that's going to be rather difficult. But the theory being, therefore, if there are enough planets. And enough potential planets with water in this so-called M or Goldilocks range, then therefore we will find life, and therefore maybe some of those planets have spawned civilizations advanced enough to be spaceborn, and maybe some right. of those are far enough advanced to have figured a way to travel across the stars. Because remember, we're dealing with maybe an intelligent race of beings hundreds or thousands of years ahead of us. So the magic with which they do this is way beyond what we can envision, except, of course, in our science fiction stories. Except what?
6: We do have a hint as to what they may be using, because even though we've only existed for a tiny little sliver of cosmic time relative to another civilization, one of the things we have is we have a good understanding of 4% of our universe. The other 96% still eludes us in terms of, you know, its understanding and the fabric, okay? But 4% of the mechanics of how the universe works is something we know. And even only with that 4%, as we start to look past our current model of physics that determines what we know, as we look past that, we see hints that there might be other propulsion techniques that can take us quicker, faster, farther. For instance, in 1994, Miguel Alcabiri came up with a concept Call a Warp Drive.
1: Let's talk about Warp Drive briefly, and we'll get back to UFOs after our next segment. We have Mark D'Antonio joining Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast.
7: A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN
21: On Facebook, on the news, and in conversations with friends, we're bombarded every day with advice on how to be healthier, from gluten-free and non-GMO diets to how much exercise and sleep the body needs. But how much have you heard about alkalizing the body? AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are a holistic and natural way to get your body's pH levels back in balance. Just a few drops in water will help your body rid itself of harmful waste, and even the healthiest of diets can be complemented with your daily use of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Who isn't looking for more vibrance, vigor, and energy? Now buy two bottles of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops and get $10 off your order. Visit Alcavision.com or call 800-518-7615. Alcavision Plasma pH Drops are packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds. Open the door to greater health, vitality, and zest for life. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health. Call 800-518-7615 or head to alcavision.com.
22: Visit the Berkey guy at goberkey.com and be sure to click the red products on sale now button. You can always call toll free 877 886 3653. Again, that's 877 886 3653. Goberkey.com, home of the Berkey guy.
13: I will never forget the day my son Jeremy told me he hated me and slammed the door in my face. I'm behavioral therapist Janet Lehman. Behavior problems can turn the child you love and your life into a nightmare. That's why my husband James and I created the Total Transformation, the step-by-step program that shows you how to fix the worst behavior problems and get your child to respect and listen to you again. No matter what the behavior, defiance, backtalk, angry outbursts, disrespect, we can help you stop it. Now you can get the Total Transformation for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. You can keep it forever for free.
14: Limited number of free programs available. Call now. 1-888-912-1595. 1-888-912-1595. That's 1-888-912-1595. 1-888-912-1595.
15: Hi, this is
14: Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what. You're
1: going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? So I will ask Mark D'Antonio to, as the cliche says, Engage. Tell us about Warp Drive. And isn't it funny how so many of these inventions from Star Trek, like the like the flip phone, from Star yes. Trek and the tablet from Star Trek Next Generation which looks very much like an iPad iPad okay yeah. so someone came up with the concept of warp drive let's get into that and then Chris has some questions back in the UFO realm go ahead
6: <laughs> Just just a quick note on that iPad comment the actual creator of that small tablet that is iPad size was Douglas Trumbull. he actually created it in the movie. 2001 A Space Odyssey that he worked on with Stanley Kubrick. So it actually is uh, an invention that goes even farther back than Star Trek.
1: Well, um, I never said that was the originator, but it's one where it was commonly used.
6: Yeah, that's it's right. And, and, and the, it's like great minds all think alike, right? You know, you figure someone will bring it to life at some point. You're right. Uh, when you talk about... Um, Uh, Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek, you know, Roddenberry was no slouch. He actually read. He understood some of the concept work out there in in the realm of astronomy and so forth. And so the concept of warp drive was total science fiction in 1968 and 66 and all those times, you know. But since then, uh, around 1994, I mentioned Miguel Alcabiri. Well, he came up with a concept, totally science fiction. That said, well, if we could create a warp bubble around our ship, then we could literally contract the space-time fabric, okay, love those words, in front of us, between us and our destination, and extend the space-time fabric behind us, and where we're leaving from. And we would literally pull the universe past us as we sat still. And it sounded like an exercise of, of silliness, except for the fact that now... This many years later, the Alkabiri warp drive actually has investigative research going on because they actually think there's merit in some way to this process. Now, there's caveats. Like,
2: where do you get the massive amount of energy it would take to do this?
6: Well, we're a pre type one society on the Kardashev scale, which means that we haven't even figured out how to manage our planet, never mind the solar system or other stars. But we can. Have limitless energy. We can go down that path. I've got thousands of ideas. I've designed a number of things that 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 I think are helpful in that arena, but they still don't even come close to the em- energy, as you say, that we need because we do. Now, storing that much energy, it's currently beyond us. But it's not beyond an advanced civilization. We see that now in this tiny sliver of our existence that we will be able to manage massive amounts of energy, you know, because we are going to have a methodology to do that. If you can use that kind of energy to go to the nearest stars, like Alpha Centauri, in six days, which is what the Alcabiri Drive could do. You work out all the issues with it, like one of the little tiny caveats of the Alcubierre Drive is that when you come out of that little warp bubble, all that energy that you've pushed ahead of yourself in order to get there comes back all in one shot and completely obliterates not just you, but the whole solar system. It's that much. So yeah, there's a little caveat there. But guess what? We'll work it out. (laughs) On the next horizon, we see that if string theory is valid, because string theory helps us peek into the other part of that 96% that we can't see of the universe, string theory might offer us the ability to go anywhere in the galaxy in just a few minutes. And that sounds totally like bogus science fiction or silliness, but it's not so much science fiction anymore. That's something that is born out of an understanding of how interdimensional travel works, because in our universe, we're limited to the speed of light. And our universe consists of the X, Y, and Z, and all moving through time, that is the dimensions that we live in, in our universe. So we get out of that, and we'll be able to go sort of in between dimensions, where there's no such limitations. Now, the al drive we talked about earlier isn't that, but it's, would apparently violate the law saying that a ship can't go faster than the speed of light. And to anyone watching, that's just what it would do. It would suddenly speed out of the solar system in in a half a second. And people would say, hey, that's violating the speed of light. We can't do that in our universe. Except... It's not, because the ship itself isn't moving. Everything else is moving past it. There's no law that says that the space-time fabric, my favorite words, okay can't go speeding past the ship at far in excess of the speed of light. There's no rule that says it can't do that. And I think that is what's so funny about it, because it's so non-intuitive that it makes people just shake their heads and then they just drop to the floor and writhe. I mean, it's all they can do.
1: Before we drop to the floor any further, for those who want to hear more about UFOs, and before we pick ourselves up, Chris, you had some more questions.
2: There's a a number of questions here, Mark, about your particular favorite legitimate uh, UFO photos and your impression or professional opinion on shots like the Trent photographs, the Costa Rica Uh, aerial uh, photograph that's been featured in a number of books. Leslie Keen's book, Jacques Vallée, mentioned it. How do these uh, particular famous shots that are considered real um, stack up in your uh, particular estimation?
6: Uh, Well, you know, the -the after-the-fact shots are really tough because you only have your analysis tools and you only have the available film footage or photo or two You never usually have access to the originals of any of that. The digital original of of, a video is usually very large. And to get a hold of it requires an awful lot of people to put all these things in motion to get it to you and so forth. But that all said, it's not uh, an impossible feat. We have done some of those things. When it comes to some of the classics, I have to say that although they're very interesting to me. Okay. Like the whole Meyer case, I'm firmly convinced Billy Meyer at one point probably saw something very interesting. Uh, but I think in later years, I guess maybe with waning interest in his work or whatever, people, you know, kind of were turning the other way. So I think that, that he started to create things like the wedding cake ship, you know, and, um, you know, the bottom of the wedding cake ship is clearly a lid from a a storage barrel in a shed. Um, right down to the having the little lifting lip that you can see on it. So I have a problem with that, and I know people are going to be angry with me for that, and I can't help it.
2: No, um, none of our listeners will, you know, <laughs> except I, Michael I just, Horn if he happens to be uh, tuning in.
6: Well, you know, I mean, I, I don't fault Michael for his work. He's He's tried to get me to go on his show and talk to him a number of times, and I just don't have that kind of time. You know, you guys... you know a good group to hang with but you know i don't have a whole lot of interest in going on a show that's going to then just attack me with controversial commentary all the time you know no reason for that. I'm a science guy. You know, I, I deal with science and factual data and there are people that don't want to do that. I can't help them unless they, if they don't want to learn, I can't help them. It's like, I can tell you not to step out of the car moving 65 miles an hour, but if you do it anyway, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm sorry. You are hey, well, going to get
2: me, hurt. Let me throw <laughs> this one at you. Bruce Maccabee, who is considered, uh, one of the, you know, most visible of all Scientist, uh, he's an optical physicist. Uh, yes, he's been he's- involved in the UFO realm for yep. for decades. He signed off on the Gulf Breeze photographs. Yet there are obvious um, indications that uh, these photographs—a uh, a good, let's put it this way—most of the photographs that Ed Walters took uh, appear to be reflections or some sort of fakery. Where do you come down on the Gulf Breeze uh, photographs, for instance?
6: Well, Bruce is a friend of mine, and you know he's a he's a great guy, and uh, I think that uh, one of the problems that ufologists like me or, or Bruce will have or other people look at pictures is sometimes we get too narrow focus and we only look at the picture, the object in the picture. When I do an analysis, I actually look at that kind of, I hate to say this, but as an afterthought, I'm checking the environment. I'm checking right. the area around it. And I'm checking for physics effects that I would expect to see. For instance, uh, in the uh, Gulf Breeze photos, uh, if I see a bright light, I expect to see that bright light reflected in the trees, not just exactly. say on the ground
2: or like, on the hood okay. of the truck.
6: <laughs> exactly. Okay. And if it's not there, then I would have to say, okay, there's something wrong with this. Now, what do I think it is? My thought process was that from day one, uh, I felt the Gulf Breeze UFOs were actually glass reflection imagery done in the same way that magicians performed on stage in the 1800s to produce ghost effects. And in order to show that, I created it. Because I said, I recreate things, and this was way back when. And that worked so well that, um, you know, I think that's when people started first calling me a debunker. And uh, it's like, no, I'm just showing you a scientific principle that can recreate this. We have to take that into account. Humans are clever people, and many people, you know, some people like to fool others. Now, if Bruce was fooled by uh, Ed Walters, well, uh, that's, that's Who, not. He was a- also
2: paid $18,000 to be fooled, too.
6: Well, whatever the case is, maybe okay. But I don't know who was paying him. Okay, but I don't know. In fact, I, I did as far as I just told you with the golf reason. I walked away from it because to me it was a non non issue. It was a non starter for me.
1: Let's do this. Otherwise, the show will be a non starter. (laughs) Mark D'Antonio joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
7: leading the way for the nation compelling talk for every political persuasion we are gcn
16: imagine looking in the mirror and to your surprise you look 10 years younger how would it make you feel looking younger can be your reality with our breakthrough anti-aging formula that's clinically proven to visibly and dramatically improve wrinkles lines and skin tone Call 1 844 500 0815. That's 1 844 500 0815. Or
15: visit
5: Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only Non GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten free. Pro EM1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro EM1 daily probiotic cleanse at Terraganics.com. spelled T E R A G A N I X.com, or call toll free 866 369 3678. That's 866 369 3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro EM1 from Terraganics. Life's getting better. Welcome back
0: to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: With Gene and with Chris in the Paracast, we've been covering UFO photos, videos, tri- and triangulation, set up so that we could really get a full picture of a ufo and get something that's really meaningful rather than just something in the sky about the possibility of planets out there that might be inhabited and thus potentially might be visiting us which goes back to the core of the ufo mystery are we being visited by et chris you have lots more questions to ask
2: I, I do indeed. Um, let's uh, get back to some of the more famous photographs. Well, here, here's a question, actually. Let's go, let's take it from the other side. Uh, sure. Randall, uh, who calls himself Ufology, is one of our very dedicated posters at forum.theparacast.com, where again, you can post questions for our guests and we'll ask him. He wants to know what your top five most infamous photo fakes are. Uh, And I'm not exactly sure what sort of criteria Uh, you would use to come up with an
6: answer. Well, yeah, okay. This is not a shameless plug for Doug, but one of my favorite fake UFO is the Sky Harbor from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, primarily because the model makers that made that model Uh, put a lot of funny little things on it that you can actually see in the close-ups of the movie as the ship is going by a little mailbox a little r2d2 really funny stuff you know so and i know that's not the nature of his question so i I will get to it but i had to mention that because uh, that to me i I notice everything you know and and i i just i couldn't believe that was on there and and so that's that's my number one favorite of (laughs) artificial fake movie UFOs. okay. But in the real world, um, so to speak, the real world of the unreal hoaxer, one of the things that I thought was really interesting because of its fakery was the famous Tahoe drone. I don't know if you remember the Tahoe drone. It was taken by this guy who saw this weird thing flying over telephone wires and trees out in Lake Tahoe. And a whole, you remember that, a whole number of pictures came up. Linda Howe
2: loves that case, boy. (laughs)
6: <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. has been touting
2: it for years.
6: Well, the fact is, when I was asked by someone, this was actually before I was MUFON's chief photo and video analyst. Actually, um, you know, I was doing this all on my own. You know, as again part of MUFON but I was asked to explore this, and I looked at it. And having at that point, I, this was 2008, I think. I had been doing CG for about you know, five or four, five or six years by that point. And I immediately recognized what I called rendering errors in the imagery. And again, I don't look at the object per se, I look at the scene, I look at everything else. And one of the things I noticed was for the exposure, the way the sun was in the sky, for instance, you had this thing up in the sky and the sun was just off to the side. You actually saw, in fact, the brightness of the sun invading the right hand of the frame in the one classic image of this thing. The camera, for some reason, still showed the blue sky. And all the detail on the shaded side of this object. Well, cameras don't work that way. So that started everything. I started going through this with a fine-tooth comb. And when I looked deep in the shadows, I, I wrote back to this guy, that uh, uh, Steve, that I had actually done this analysis for. Uh, and I said, Steve, the devil is in the dark. <laughs> you got to look at the shadows. When you look at the shadows, you see these really fine little donut ring shapes. And I said, that's a sampling error caused by a renderer using something, one of the many techniques, but one called uh, radiosity. Now we call it global illumination. It's part of the global, global illumination, which is the way you make something in a fake image look real. It takes into account bouncing photons and tries to make the image look more real. You get subtle reflected light on the bottom of something that's in shadow, for instance, and then it makes it look more real. But if you choose to do that, without saying that you want to look at a lot of light rays instead of just a few. If you say you're going to just use a few, then you get little artifacts, these little donuts. And they're overlapping donuts. They show that the that the renderer uh, was, that's used in the software, the thing that makes this image, actually was making mistakes. And you could pick up on those. And when I saw those, I realized, okay, it's as I thought, it's a fake. It was missing other telltale signs of reality. It was missing proper lit edges that you would expect from the sun all the things that you would get from a camera you didn't get in this object the object was out of place it was a composited object thrown into a regular photograph and so when I made that announcement to this guy he brought it to the MUFON heads and then they said well get him out here to the conference let's have him do a talk on this so I did a talk on that and Shortly thereafter, they said, "Do you want to be the chief photo video analyst?" And I said, "Oh, sure. I mean, I've been doing this for years with Mufon anyway, kind of on my own." And then finally, they they said, "Let's do it." So that's how that started. So that was that one was one of my favorites because uh, that's the one that's the second favorite because of the fact that that was a very uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, it was a regimented manner in which I went through. I, it was a full methodology I used to go and decipher that piece by piece by piece. I recreated it, and then in my talk. I actually built that UFO live in front of everybody and then made that image for them right in front of them as the talk again, recreating that's very, very important. So uh, next, I think um, there was a pair of UFOs that uh, were zipping across above palm trees and they were zipping through the scene and they go right over your head and you hear this, you know, noise Whoa, as they go by and then they disappear into the sky. It looked beautiful. Do you remember yeah, that? The one? Haitian. The Haitian uh, that's, that's the Haitian one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I looked at that and I started laughing immediately because I recognized the palm trees. I had those palm trees. It was part of the view, V U E package for doing rendering and animation (laughs) and i was like look they're all the same palm trees this one's rotated that one's a little bit rotated but look here are total duplicates side by side the leaves hanging exactly the same way so when i figured that out i realized that somebody used view and i was very impressed with how they use view and i was also just a little bit worried because i was like wow a lot of people are going to think this is real And I don't believe it is. Okay. So the next one after that, uh, going more recently, uh, there was a famous image in the sky that really happened just like you saw it. It was called the Norway Spiral. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. The Norway Spiral was a stunning white pinwheel in the sky. It had a, a brilliant bluish green light behind it. And I looked at that and... I was sent this minutes after it happened, okay? It was um, really, really early in the morning here. I just happened to be up and I get this this call. I have to send you this video. You gotta see it now, will you look at it? Yeah, sure. So I looked at the video and I'm watching this gigantic, beautiful pinwheel. And my first thought was, I know that's not fake. I know that's really there. And I happen to know exactly what that is. I've seen it before. I called back – or sorry, I wrote back in the email to these people, and I said, okay, brace yourselves. This is a failed rocket launch in progress. <laughs> I go, you're watching the leaking of fuel, and the, that round spiral is caused by the spinning rocket body being thrown out of balanced forces. It's actually spinning because the rocket uh, is leaking fuel. I said that bluish-green is the dead giveaway – That occurs 90 miles up in the atmosphere. It's called an aurora, and it's being caused by the rocket punching through the uh, stratosphere. And they went silent, and the next day, I'm being maligned left and right about people. And they said, well, remember that black thing at the end? That's the Stargate opening up. And my response was, no, that's what happens in space when something is destroyed, you don't get fireballs in space. It's just an expanding debris cloud under force. And that is what you see there. You're watching the rocket body being destroyed by the whoever launched it. And they ripped me apart, called me all kinds of names. I just smiled. Two days later, the Russians zoned up to exactly that. It was a gimbal failure on their rocket. They had an oxygen tank that leaked. Bam, they had to the self-destruct. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just heard crickets. Nobody got back to me. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, so so that was a favorite because it was just, just gorgeous. It was a beautiful, beautiful effect. Um, uh, the other one that was... Uh, that was interesting to me because of the way the investigation took place, and this is the, the last one, was the Jerusalem UFO, where the UFO. Right. Remember that one.
1: Okay, let's talk about the Jerusalem UFO in our next segment with Mark D'Antonio. He's the chief photo analyst guy person. For Mufon, <laughs> you like that title? I understand he's putting I, I, that on I'm his business card. I'm going to change
6: it right now. I'm writing it down. Okay, put if it on you your do business
1: card, yeah, a new business card. We can get him a cheap rate on business cards. <laughs> Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting
20: For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic any time. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
19: Is your money manager giving you safety and security? Wouldn't you like to make your money work harder for you? Then you should consider joining philsgang.com, where thousands of individual investors have successfully profited.
20: This year, I'm up
5: 60% on my portfolio. Following your system has been fantastic. I've been with you for about a month and a half now, and I'm already up 7%.
17: I've been in the business for a long time, and you're really one of the best I've ever heard. Well, I just want to let you know how great what a great teacher you are. For over a
19: decade, Philsgang.com's Phil Grandy and Donald Cogswell have been teaching, coaching, and investing right along with all Phil's gang members. I
20: want to thank Donnie for market wrap. I bought 2,500 shares of AUI and sold it this morning. At $820 profit. Why not
19: join thousands of satisfied Phil's Gang customers today? Go to philsgang.com, philsgang.com, or call 877-600-4264. That's 877-600-4264. Call today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at
1: forum.theparacast.com. Okay, the chief photo analyst guy person from <laughs> Earth. The king of the universe of analysts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Funny, uh, he's, funny. He, it's going to be a very big business card.
6: It's going to be a billboard before it's done, you know.
1: <laughs> well, that way you pay more for it and I get a commission. There you go. You see, I could make a deal with a printer. You're a wise
6: marketing man. (laughs) I wish. So in in the last segment, I mentioned a bunch of those UFOs that I thought were interesting as favorites of mine. This next one is the Jerusalem UFO. If you recall, there was a a UFO sighting that uh, started to make some headlines because uh, an apparent group, quote unquote, of people saw this light come down, park itself over the Dome of the Rock in old jerusalem and then it flashed and choof, took off into the sky it was looked gorgeous now it was filmed by two or so or three different people and then submitted separately as three separate filmings of the same object of course i got the call to do the analysis because you know we do this for worldwide not just the united states and when I looked at the UFO footage, I noticed something disturbing. First of all, I look at everything to try. Like I said, I have to look at it. I have to be hard on the data or I'm doing everyone a disservice. All right? I can't say that's real when uh, if I don't think it is. And looking at this, what disturbed me was the first video shows a particular behavior of this little UFO. The second video shows a different behavior that was supposedly occurring at the same time. And... That made me think that this was two, at least two different events. And when I confirmed that it was really supposed to be the same event and they were absolutely adamant that this was the same event, that's when I realized, okay, these guys are probably pulling the wool over our eyes. I'm cautious. I'm suspicious. Now I have to prove it. So I set about looking at a variety of different factors. And one of those took me completely outside of photo and video analysis. I went to social media. It was taken by young people, you know, early in the morning, one in the morning, or whatever it was in old Jerusalem, up on the mountain, on the hill. Social media should have been buzzing about this. There should have been hundreds and hundreds of people. You could hear people in the background, you know, where were they? Where were their Facebook posts? Where were their tweets? None of it ever showed up. So that's suspicious to me. So you got to take the whole picture into consideration. Where were the reports to the authorities? Israeli authorities didn't have any reports, in fact. Where were the reports of other young people down in the city who saw saw this bright flash of light and saw this thing go up in the sky? None. No one. Not a single one. So that's when I realized, okay, when you have a full city, basically, that never sleeps, of young people out and about having fun, and two of them take a picture, a video, rather, of the scene, and they're the only two that report it, that is suspicious. That is very suspicious. And in this day and age of social media, even more suspicious. So uh, I said I believe this to be a hoax because one important thing, and that is that the UFO in video one does not act the same as as UFO in video two. And number two, because literally there's no other reports of it. This is supposed to be something over one of the most important locations on Earth. And two people reported it. So as you know, from that resulting uh, investigation, an Israeli journalist got a hold of the story and started running with it uh, and, and started to figure it out. And it turns out that those two students who took that photo, that video, each separate video, were part of the same class, a film class. And it looked like this was probably meant to be some type of a viral video test or some kind of thing they were trying to do in the viral media market.
2: You know so plus plus the background appeared to be static as well.
6: I saw that analysis too about the background being static and and I, I did differ on that. I was able to determine in my view that it was actually it was actually a moving uh, background because you could actually see changes occurring in the background, and I don't remember where, but there was something about uh lights being occluded you know by a tree or something that I could see that was another. Uh, something, but, but it doesn't matter. The bottom line was that uh, they were found out to have been trying to generate a viral scheme you know, scheme a scheme of some kind, which whatever, you know, people will do
2: it. Yep, pretty impressive for uh, film students. Since yep. we're on the uh, subject of hoaxed footage, Burnt State, one of our uh, top posters at com, like myself, has heard rumors over the years of Stanley Kubrick in uh, exchange for you know, some new camera lens uh, was ta- uh, from NASA was tasked with the job of uh, faking the original Apollo uh, moon landing footage. Oh yeah! And uh, this has been something that's been kicking around for years. Now, is Douglas Trump? What does Douglas Trumbull think about that hoax uh, theory? Uh, I
6: I can tell you because um, yeah, I actually I talk to him all the time and. and uh, I just dealt with a a whole lunar landing conspiracy thing, you know, and people were saying, look, here's a UFO on the moon. No, I'm sorry. In fact, I just did the Aliens on the Moon documentary with uh, that was uh, Bob Kvyat's show. And they were showing me pictures that they thought might be artificial structures. And I was telling them from my scientific background that, well, let me explain how that can actually occur. All right. Before you say it's an alien thing, there's another way that could happen. And I was trying to explain that. I uh, even Well, you created, know, that's
2: not going to make the show.
6: Uh, after that that's that's true, but still I I say what I say. Uh and then it wasn't I didn't realize the show was going to be you know that far down that path. Uh, I was told that I would be a kind of a voice of reason. Uh and that's okay because that's usually what I try to do is just temper that with uh you know the reality that we do understand. Um but I had created and I I actually take this around the country. It's a, it's a, a demonstrator that actually shows the lunar surface. It's a real lunar, not real lunar soil, but it's a simulated lunar soil that I've concocted that acts the same way, does the same, has the same kind of properties. And we can create meteor, create meteor craters with them. We can create ridges and valleys and, and show, well, it's a glass walled box, but light on it in a certain ways at low angles, you can actually recreate the quote unquote tricks of light and shadow. Cause again, I'm a recreation guy. I'm not a, just a, a spout it and sit down guy, you know? So I put my money where my mouth is and I make sure that I demonstrate these things. And um, the concept of, of the, the moon landing to me was always interesting because in every one of the arguments that they put forth uh the one that says, look, the shadows are going different directions, which proves uh, that the, the, there were giant spotlights on the stage. Uh, look, the flag is waving, which proves that uh, there was air. All of those concepts fall apart when you examine the science behind this. The setting.
2: W- what about the radiation and the Hasselblad uh, unprotected Hasselblad cameras? Well, why why wasn't the film all fog?
6: Well, that's a whole other issue. Okay, the, the the fog camera issue is one that uh, you know when we look at you know X rays. And if you recall, it was uh, in the old days, we would pass our film cans through uh, the the airport and they would get fogged. Okay, well, the NASA folks knew about fogging. They had done tests to see what would happen to the film cans. And so they tried to preclude that by putting the, the cameras in housings that would preclude that. Keep in mind that the same radiation that would fog film would kill astronauts. So how come the astronauts aren't dead? <laughs> how come every astronaut that came back didn't die of cancer?
1: Well, maybe they didn't. These are substitutes. Like, Paul is dead. <laughs> we have his doppelganger. We do not have doppelgangers on this show. We have Mark D'Antonio. Oh, I don't think funny. he's a doppelganger. Not a 100% sure. Chris, uh, Gene, some people say I died 100 years ago, like the guy in Forever, that Keeps dying, that new TV show, and he comes back naked in water. I don't do that. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. You're
7: listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
14: 9 one That's one 888 9 one 888
12: Don't miss this limited time offer. Give us a call at 800-538-5252 because we're going to let a million people try Proactive Plus risk-free and get two free gifts and also receive free shipping when you call right now.
10: This is Kurt Sutton, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're
20: listening to the Paracast.
1: So we're not talking about the TV show forever, because nobody can pronounce the name of the star. It's, by the way, Yoan Griffith, although it's spelled in Welsh. That's why it sounds like something else. We have instead somebody whose name is more easy to pronounce, Mark D'Antonio and with Gene and Chris. I'm
6: glad, I'm glad it's easy for you. you know?
1: <laughs> it's easy for me. I had to read it. You know, I didn't know because it looks like Gruffold or something like that. There's no way to actually pronounce the guy's name. Right. But he's got a great British accent, so you don't care about what he says. <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about. It does turn out, though, if we're going to summarize this because we only have a couple of segments left, that there's a fair amount of efforts to fake a UFO, But one of the most common techniques is just to take any old light in the sky and say, see, that's the UFO, and post it on certain websites or YouTube channels to make profits for people.
6: Yeah, that's true. I dealt with someone that was taking photos and imagery of airplanes, and because there was no sound from the aircraft, uh, they thought that this meant that this was a UFO. I then had to go through and explain, well, there's different thermoclines and the you know, thermal clines in the air, and different temperatures cause sound to change direction. You see it all the time. You hear thunder, distant thunder, for this reason. Or you don't hear thunder from a lightning bolt. It seems like it's nearby for this reason. Uh, People see this every day, but they don't put it into the right context. When it comes in, it becomes an airplane. Suddenly, that's a UFO. Whereas you know that could have been an alien ray gun beam instead of lightning. You see what I mean? So in the in the, I don't really believe that, of course. I'm using it as an example. But uh, I just did a case with uh, well so I, I do a lot of cases with the Huffington Post and Lee Spiegel and, and I help them along with Ben Hansen and Ben and I work together on these stories with Lee to try and talk about sightings and what was what's really going on. One of them that uh, I did with open minds recently too has to do with well you know our lights shown in a night vision system flying overhead. They are not an aircraft configuration that is recognizable. That is to say, unless you know some of the very odd configurations that you can expect. This particular configuration I recognized. And this, when you look overhead, you saw these strange, long, linear lights up front. And then you saw more strange, bright lights. And then you saw wingtip lights that looked like they would be the strobes in an in a aircraft. But it didn't look like any aircraft you'd ever seen. And then the kicker was... It's flying at night with a night vision scope trained on it, and you see the stars going in between all the lights, at least apparently. So now people are saying, look, it's a semi-transparent giant UFO. What the heck is this? I looked at it, and I said, I've seen this before, and I can show you what it is, I believe. And I produced some imagery that I've taken and that I have showing that really what people were looking at was a aerial refueling mission going on at night. And the long linear array of lights, well, that has a special name. Okay, that's a that's a pilot directional system that's actually used for the pilot in the back to line up with. It's basically the runway lights for the guy to know how far he is from the boom, where he is. Because you're not gonna. And some of those are infrared sensitive, so uh, you know if you have an infrared sensor, you'll actually see them very brightly. So there's some you know very interesting light configurations you see that people may not recognize that are just you know not so ordinary aircraft, but aircraft nonetheless.
1: You know, the more and more I hear this, the more and more I realize that actually getting a real photo of a UFO is so difficult. And it's just possible with your fancy cameras and your smartphones. Forget about the stuff that you buy, the expensive camcorders. I mean, the stuff you have in the phone that you get for $199 or $99 with a two-year contract and yeah. get maybe a $1.99 app, and you're <laughs> yeah. ready to go, man.
6: It could be. It's true. And, you know, I can't expect everybody, you know, who looks at the strange lights in the sky to say, oh, look, it's aerial refueling, and those forward lights are the pilot director light arrays. I don't expect everybody to know that. let's see, that's part of what I do is to try and educate and show people. In October, from the twenty-first to the twenty-fourth, I'm actually out there from the nineteenth to twenty-fifth in Arizona. I told you, I think, off the air. I'm going to be helping to teach a week-long class in UFO-related um, information and actually show people how to do photo and video analysis. You know, what do we do when we actually find something? What do you do if you actually find trace evidence? How can you pot, you know properly manage that scene? A lot of very interesting techniques are going to be taught all that week by very high-powered people and scientists. It's, it's going to be a a, a a good week. This is something that education, that is, is something that's really critical. And my purpose uh, is not to you know, go on all kinds of television shows and become a, a, a Giorgio guy. Okay, my purpose is to educate people so that they can go and be the Giorgio guys in their own rights. They can go do their thing. I want people to be empowered, and this is what this is about. Publicity and this other stuff, that happens anyway. That just happens as a fallout of, of what I'm doing as an effort to do this. So this is part of what we have to do, is to try and make people aware of those exotic things that are, as I've said, ordinary things captured in an extraordinary way.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, education, there's no substitute for education. Unfortunately, most people uh, in this day and age, especially young people seem to get their education off the internet or uh, television shows. And that's probably the worst place that you should go to get an education, especially in the realm of analyzing alleged UFO data, whatever that might be. Yeah. So, yeah, good luck on that project. Uh, I wish I was in MUFON. I'd come down there <laughs> and uh, put my ear in. I would really, though, Mark, uh, strongly suggest that you visit uh, Ray Stanford down in College Park. His wife, by the way, was in charge of uh, refurbishment uh, missions to uh, the Hubble Space Telescope at Goddard. Mm-hmm. Ray is a very, very bright guy. He's um, he's showing replication of time, what appear to be time compression artifacts in in photos and in film. Uh, he's come up with uh, some brilliant, brilliant analytical work. And I think that out of all the people that you could go and talk to, you will learn more from that man than probably anybody else in the field. And, and oh, I yeah. mean that. And uh, I really would like you to, to uh, follow up on this and, and get in contact with him because I think he could learn a, a thing or two from you as well. And I think uh, once you, you two uh, get together and compare notes, uh, boy, I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that one.
6: Well, maybe you will be.
2: <laughs> that's a, that's a possibility. I'll be out there, yeah. uh, in November.
6: Yeah, so, we,
2: uh, you know, I,
6: micro drone. I, you know, <laughs> we,
2: we have so many questions here. Uh, basically, I think what most people want to know is, is do you think that there are any legitimate, uh, historical photographs or film footage of UFOs? I mean, w- w- could you give us an example of, of some that uh, that are genuinely? Unknowns.
6: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have. Uh, there's one that uh, I was uh, going to tell you before, which I uh, it slipped my mind. There was a. There was a. Um, oh, there was a Montana. I think it was uh, a sighting over Montana, and this one was actually captured, I believe, on 16 millimeter film.
2: Right, that's it's pretty famous footage of the objects going uh, behind right. the radio tower.
6: Yeah. Now that one to me has remained unsolved. Now, could it be a daytime meteor? Perhaps. Could it be the F-86 Super Sabres that were rumored to be in the area? Perhaps. However, the daytime meteor issue is a tough one because a daytime meteor doesn't necessarily act this way. So when you look at a daytime meteor, you might actually see quite a bit more, um, you might see quite a bit more of a tail or something dragging behind it. Now, during a bright, sunny day, it's possible you might only see the bright head. But usually, seeing two objects like that, that usually means that the thing is broken apart. And that also usually means that as there's been enough of exposure to the atmosphere, that you're now going to get a large contrail, a smoke contrail, kind of like the Russian meteor that you saw. There was none of that. And that 16 millimeter camera certainly would have seen it. It wasn't too faint for the camera. And the F86 Super Sabres were rumored to be many, many miles away in the different direction based on the information. So given the information at hand, I have nothing else I could say other than that one, to me, has remained unsolved.
1: Okay, one unsolved photo. Let's look at another case in our next segment with Mark D'Antonio. And Gene and Chris, you're in the
22: Paracast. Great
7: minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
16: I'm Kay Swirling from KSCO Radio in Santa Cruz. I'm 93 years old, and I'm a big fan of Alex Jones because he has the courage to speak his mind more than just about anyone I know. Alex is just as bothered as I am about all the advertising you hear for toxic prescription drugs that make you sicker, not healthy. I would prefer to give my body all 90 essential nutrients it needs for life to produce disease not compounded. My favorite complete supplement is Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Longevity, which I take every day along with EFA Plus and Beyond OsteoFX. I recommend you go online to InfoWarsTeam.com to purchase these products and make them part of your daily regimen to get healthy and live longer. InfoWarsTeam.com.
15: This is Jacques Vallee. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: On the Paracast, it's photos, movies, analysis. And we've asked Mark D'Antonio, our guest, to heads up the photo analysis for MUFON about the unexplained pictures. You got another one for us?
6: Well, uh, there was one uh, that wasn't actually a video or pictures, but one that occurred with someone that I never, ever expected to claim was a UFO or, or saw a UFO. And uh, it's my sister. My sister is not a believer in UFO. She never was. Uh, but she was awakened one night in Plainville, Connecticut, uh, just a couple years ago. and. It was around 2 in the morning, and she got out of bed and noticed it was strangely quiet, except for this this humming noise coming from outside the house. She looked out the window, and she saw a triangular vehicle, a black triangular vehicle with red lights that were underneath at the corners. And it was going over the house very slowly, and then just slowly went across the yard, and then across the treetops. She said it was huge. And it scared the living daylights out of her. Well, it was night, so obviously it scared the living nightlights out of her. Let's put it that way. And she ended up calling me and saying, I I can't believe what I just saw. I I, I refuse to believe what I just saw. And uh, it it spooked her. And this is someone who didn't believe at all. Now, when we have members of our family who believe like that now— as an analyst, all I can say is, well, it's anecdotal. Maybe you were dreaming. Maybe you were this. Maybe were that. And she just gets angry with me. No, you idiot. She can talk to me that way. You know, I wasn't sleeping. I was wide awake because, you know, I couldn't sleep. And the other thing that happened was there were the, all the power in town was out. And sure enough, uh, uh, the next day, uh, a query to the town showed an inexplicable power loss throughout the town that night. No one knew what it was. And it's on record. So it's like, wow. Okay. What do we call that? You should know now it's corroborative data, <laughs> all right. It corroborates something that she saw or, you know, at least it it goes together with it. But this was at two in the morning. So, you know, she and maybe some other people saw it, but they're still out there. They have. There's people out there that haven't responded. So to me, that's just an unsolved mystery. You know, I uh, one that I actually thought was interesting to begin with, but I quickly dismissed as a hoax was the, the uh, Stan Romanek um, alien in the window. Oh, please. (laughs) You think? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people believed it, but, you know, and and when you respond, you don't, you know, your response works for you and I, but for the people that actually believe that, you have to give them more than that, right? You got to tell them why you don't think so. So I put together a whole response and and discussed anatomical issues and, you know, how the height of the window to the floor, blah, 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 and all that. Well, then I watched the video of Stan, uh, you know, and not to pick on him, I mean, but when it comes to ufology, okay, I'm not afraid to tell a hoaxer he's a hoaxer, and I'm uh, I'm unapologetic about that. And I saw Stan interviewing with an Australian guy, and I guess Stan was using Skype, but didn't realize that the Skype field of view for his camera included the, just barely included his hands. On his screen, he probably saw a cropped version, so he just thought it was maybe his shoulders and head. And they were talking about paranormal events, and this is the Paracast, so this is uh, appropriate. And suddenly you see this pen fly at Stan's face and the host of the show says, Whoa, what was that? And Stan's like, I don't know where that came from, except for the fact that you saw him throw it at himself with, okay, as obvious. And he had no clue. And then a few minutes later, he flings a little USB flash drive at himself with his opposite hand. And it's like, you know what? This reminds me kind of like of the whole Meyer thing, you know, You might have had an experience in your earlier life, but then as the excitement wears off, you like the attention, you gotta keep it, you gotta keep that going. So you actually start manufacturing and fabricating. And then that calls into question any value that you may have offered uh, with what could have been a real experience.
1: And that's the biggest problem you have here, Mark, which is that it may be that a number of the so-called contactees over the years had some kind of strange experience early on But needed the attention. Now, an example of this might be someone like a George Adamski of the early contactees. We know his photos were absurd. And meeting the blonde Venusians in the desert was also absurd. He was actually meeting Michael Rennie, who was wearing his (laughs) uniform from the day the earth stood still. But he also wrote a book where he met Jesus Christ. In the late 40s, a science fiction book. So it's possible he met somebody. He could have interpreted it any way he wants. And that's, I guess, one of the big things about UFOs that we go into here on the Paracast quite often. And we only have a few minutes left, so it's not something you want to jump into. And that is the possibility that what you see is not what's there. You're interpreting it in the way you think is right. Right. And photographing it may be very difficult because it may be generating stuff at areas where normal cameras don't capture the image, it becomes an almost impossible situation. So we see UFOs in terms of our culture through the centuries, and who knows what UFOs will look like 100 years from now if we still have a mystery.
6: Well, here's something for you. Really, I'll, I'll do this as quick as I can, which I don't know how quick that can be.
1: It has to be three minutes. This will be the fastest answer you ever did, sir. <laughs> I
6: know, right? I am sorry about that. Last year, I had I had a, a brain surgery some years ago to save my life because there was something in there. They had to get out. I don't know. And it saved. It was fine. It wasn't a cancer. It was just some little mass. Well, anyway, they take this thing out. And as the injury in my brain matured, I started to hear people talking that weren't there, and I figured, oh, okay, it's just, it's a latent, you know, latent uh, voice conversation I remember in my head, and my brain is playing it back to me. Then I started seeing people that weren't there, you know, uh, semi-transparent people uh, and animals, you know, everything running across my floor and and so forth, And, and I just attributed this to the maturity of the injury in the brain, and I kept saying that, and I went to a neurologist, I got an MRI again, you know, and said, what's going on, is there anything wrong? No, the brain's fine. Okay, so... Then one day, I'm working on a prop for our movie, uh, and as I'm sitting there, I watch this dog-like, semi-transparent thing walk in, and this is really a bridge, trust me, um, and it curls up on the floor. And most people, you know, when you're tired, you look out in your peripheral vision, you see something, you go, oh, what was that? You know, But it was really just because you're tired, right, and your eyes are jumping around, and they form these false images. Well, this was, you know not the case with any of these things i'm seeing i'm watching directly wide awake in the middle of the day and this dog is lying there on the ground and i can't really tell it's a dog but it looks like a pecanese type dog because just of the gait. but i can't really see its features it's a semi formless shape um kind of like it's kind of like the creatures in the abyss you know the, the water type creatures but nothing like that no shine or anything it's really strange to explain well anyway I decide, OK, I've had it. OK, I'm tired of my brain. You know, it's generating these false images. I got up, I walked over and I did something crazy. I'm looking right down at this thing. And now I'm getting a little concerned because it's not going away. How can my brain recreate this this perspective? And I step on it. And when I stepped on it, what happened next sent me to astrophysicists, not neurologists. When I stepped on it, You imagine the two poles of a magnet, similar poles, north poles. You try to push two powerful magnets together. They slip away from each other. Well, when I I stepped on this thing, it pulled itself out from under me and ran out of the room, and it took my leg with it, and it knocked me right down to the floor. It just freaked me out. Then we make a discovery that parallel universes may very well exist based on a discovery published in Science uh, about the Big Bang. So, you see, our observation may actually be catching up to what's in reality and that is there may be more than one universe and we might see them bleeding into our own.
1: Okay, the stuff of nightmares. It. Let's ask one last question of you. Mark D'Antonio, is there any place we can check online to find more of the stuff you do?
6: Hmm. Oh, I thought you were going to say do I ever shut up? Uh, but yeah, I actually, my, my website is fxmodels.com. That shows the model work that we do uh, but uh, as far as UFOTOG and that Doug and I are going to have our own separate website for that that's going to be coming up as we make our progress. We're about four months from production of our first uh, multi-spectral camera. Okay, we'll put it
1: up as soon as you let us know. We'll have it over at thepowercast.com. Meantime, you can go to thepowercast.com, and if you sign up for our weekly newsletter over there, you get a free copy of Secrets of the Mysterious Valley, ebook version, from Chris O'Brien, free book to sign up to the weekly official Paracast newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter where we are known as the Paracast. There's also a Paracast fan club on Facebook. You go to Chris's site, ourstrangeplanet.com. That's ourstrangeplanet.com. Buy his books. If you buy his latest book, Stalking the Herd, directly from Chris, he gets all the money. He doesn't give it away to Jeff Bezos at Amazon, and he signs and numbers the book. Mark D'Antonio. Thanks for joining us on the Paracast.
6: Thanks for having me.
0: The Paracast featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.